Welcome to the Hidden History Happy Hour podcast with Alex Dean and Brian Cunningham. Here we have a drink, have a laugh, and you just might learn something about our favorite stories from history. Please visit our website at hiddenhistoryhappyhour.com and subscribe on your favorite podcast app. And if you like the show, please rate us five stars and leave a review. Cheers. Well, hello, uh, Hidden History Happy Hour fans. I am flying solo today. It's Alex Dean and my co-pilot, my partner in crime, Brian Cunningham, is on holiday in uh, one of the Italian lakes. I know what you're thinking. Uh, I like details, Alex. Uh, Is it Lake Garda? Is it Lake Como? Is it Lago de Maggiore? Well, I'm sure he told me, but as regular viewers or listeners will know, I have a finely tuned ability to tune out what Brian is saying. So uh, you'll have to wait for the next episode to find out uh, where Brian is. Uh, In the meantime, please help me out and click subscribe, hit the like button. It really does help us. And uh, and I'm all on my own today. I am in Brian's honor drinking an Italian beer called Moretti. Uh, Cheers. I offer you a lonely cheers. And as I write, as I uh, as I speak, uh, the uh, UK government has performed a U-turn on taxation policy. It was going to abolish the top rate of tax, uh, reducing income tax to the level it has been at for most of the time the Labour Party was in power, down to 40%. But whatever you think of the policy, about the politics of it, in fiscal terms, the tax is worth about £2 billion to the Exchequer, which, without being flippant, isn't very much money in government terms. So they figured, I think that any real market reaction would be irrational. Uh, There were other much bigger ticket items in the recent mini budgets after all. But this is what got attention. It drove the markets crazy and the government has had to reverse its course. The government has changed its position, not because it thinks it was wrong, but because it came to realize that thanks to the clamor over what they saw as an irrational response, it didn't have the votes in the House of Commons to deliver the policy. And this got me thinking about irrationality and the need to sometimes pay attention to the irrational rather than discard it. So here is a story about chickens. Uh, The least interesting thing about the Battle of Trapanum, which is now called Trapani, it's in Sicily, uh, is what happened at the Battle of Trapanum. What we're interested in is what happened before and after it. In sum, Rome versus Carthage, First Punic Wars. Rome had consolidated control over mainland Italy and which is not historically their strong point, they were notching up some victories at sea. They were keen to carry on doing so against uh, Carthage, and thus rose and then fell Publius Claudius Pulcher, uh, for whom things were going well until they didn't. Uh, Side note, Pulcher, by the way, means handsome. And not for the first or last time, it seems the public was swayed by uh, political leaders' matinee idol good looks into entrusting them with responsibilities for which hindsight might suggest They were less than ideally equipped. So uh, Publius Claudius Pulcher, PCP, uh, took a fleet up a channel at Trapanum. He was seeking to ambush the Carthaginians at night and whilst they were at anchor. But the Punic admiral was well ahead of him and he put to sea via another channel and in open waters they utterly marmalised the Roman fleet. And PCP's fleet lost more than 90 ships and more than 20,000 men, more than 20,000 Roman fighters died in one battle. This was not good, uh, but it was war, and people realize in war, losses happen. The bigger problem for PCP was that he had ignored the chickens. 
the sacred chickens of Rome had refused to eat before the battle. And this was a bad omen in the eyes of everyone who gave credence to such things. PCP was not such a one. He said, throw them in the sea. If they won't eat, let them drink. Well, that's bold. And if the battle had gone Rome's way, then not only would this affront have been forgiven, it might have redefined attitudes towards omens and the like thereafter, and he would have been seen as a visionary. But it didn't go their way, so it didn't redefine things, and he was not seen as a visionary. Instead, he returned to absolute disgrace. His friends and family had to beg leniency for him rather than uh, facing the punishment which the Romans were fond of, which obviously execution, and he sort of got um, leniency. He was made subject to a whopping fine, and um, that was it, rather than being tortured, killed, made a public example of. But his name was stained forever by the chickens, and his family would struggle to make progress uh, whilst that stain was still extant. Uh, and especially his son, his son's career, whose son was a promising politician and fighter in his own right, his son's career was blighted by what had happened with the shame of his father. So what can a man do when shown the heights of leadership and glory now reduced to the depths of shame and disgrace and seemingly a burden to all those that he loves. Some mount comebacks, some escape from setbacks even greater than this one, and others don't. And I'm afraid that PCP was in column B. He died very soon after he escaped real punishment, and almost certainly by his own hand. So the lesson of this uh, a paltry tale. Um, you may very well be right in thinking that the views of others are nonsense, that they're irrational, but it's probably best not to be rude about it. It's probably best to pay a little attention if they've got some sway, especially because we all make mistakes and you may make a whopper yourself. And it follows that one day you may need those irrational nonsense spouters on your side rather than against you. I think that's a lesson that applies to people in politics today just as much as it applied to Pulcher. Right. That's story number one. Second story, every Brit loves a pub quiz. I was at one the other day, which made me think of this story. Today's quiz question is this. What is the only city to have been a European capital that isn't in Europe? I'll give you a moment to think. Say your answer out loud, perhaps for extra points in your mind. You could pause the video to ponder. Uh, uh, hit the like and subscribe button while you're at it and for those of you who got it right congratulations the answer is rio de janeiro uh, napoleon's push into iberia in what became known as the peninsula war um, against the brits as usual uh, but also um, allies in spain portugal um, that war was going worryingly well if you well if you're portuguese nobility anyway uh, and then in 1807, the Portuguese monarchy, fearing the worst, decamped from Lisbon to Brazil. And they made Rio de Janeiro, some 5,000 miles away from home, the capital of Portugal. A poor old Rio isn't even capital of Brazil any longer. That's another pub quiz favourite. Uh, it's Brasilia, of course, which I always typo with a Z rather than the S, uh, because that was the name of a nightclub rather the nightclub with heavy inverted commas around it sort of sweaty porter cabin on the hill in my hometown of Bury St Edmunds anyway for a long time there Rio was capital to both Portugal and Portuguese America and when the war was over there were quite understandable calls for the monarchy to return home surely 
the realm could not permanently be run from a colony. The problem was that everybody at court they really rather liked Rio. John VI, uh, he therefore properly upgraded Brazil to a kingdom. There it is. It's not a monarchy running things from a colony after all. Long live the United Kingdom, Portugal, Brazil and the Algarve. What a holiday destination sweepstake. Well, unsurprisingly, perhaps nobody actually bought this. You've got to come back, John. We're Portugal. You are the king of Portugal. That's how it works. John dragged it out. Uh, but in the end, facing a potential revolution at home, a mere seven years after the close of hostilities in the Peninsular War, the court returned to Lisbon. John left his son, Prince Pedro, to lead things in Brazil as regent. And he took this responsibility for Brazil's interests and future rather more seriously than his father might have expected. Because a year after John left, Pedro declared Brazil independent, renamed himself emperor, established his capital at Rio, and generally waved two fingers towards faraway Europe and his faraway father. And today's lesson, of course, is that daddy issues play an often an underestimated part in the fates of nations. Uh, but I ought to be um, fair in terms of historical accuracy and, and say that the annals report that uh, Pedro hated his mother just as much as well. He was just a, he was an unhappy son. Anyway, I like the point about daddy issues, and I hope you do too. Um, that's all we've got time for on this short uh, episode of the Hidden History Happy Hour. I hope that you have enjoyed it. Don't forget to like and subscribe. Tell your friends about us because we're always keen for more uh, listeners. My new book, uh, More Lessons from the Imaginatively titled More Lessons from History, uh, will be out soon. And I'll be telling some more stories from that in the podcast soon. But in the meantime, thank you for listening and cheers. Thank you for listening to the Hidden History Happy Hour podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on your favorite podcast app. And if you have questions, comments or suggestions for topics, you can find us on Twitter or on our website, hiddenhistoryhappyhour.com. We look forward to joining you next time. Much gratitude to our multi-talented production team of Jeremy Kaur, Kate Cruz, and Grace Keller, and to our visionary executive producer, Ivan Williams. And thanks also to our art designer, David Wardle, without whom this podcast would be, well, history. Cheers.